0: This is the Brazil Institute podcast. I'm your host, Anya Prusa. On this episode, we're talking about Brazil's upcoming municipal elections, scheduled for November 15th. In a country where nearly 87% of the population is urban, municipal elections are unquestionably consequential. This year, The elections were delayed a full month to give Brazil's election authorities time to adapt the system for COVID-19. Voting is mandatory in Brazil and must be done in person, raising concerns over the potential for Election Day to turn into a super-spreader event. The responsibility for preventing such an outcome falls largely on the Superior Electoral Court, the highest body of electoral justice in Brazil, which in coordination with the regional electoral courts, supervises and administers the electoral process throughout the country. Earlier this month, I had the privilege of sitting down with the president of the Superior Electoral Court, Justice Luis Roberto Barroso, for a socially distanced conversation about the court's efforts to keep voters safe, and not just from the coronavirus. We also discussed the threat of disinformation and the court's efforts to get accurate information to voters.
1: Justice Barroso, I would like to thank you for joining us here today and speaking with us about the upcoming municipal elections in Brazil.
2: It's my pleasure to be here with you.
1: Just to start, I wanted to ask you, what do you see as the main challenges for carrying out the vote in Brazil under the present circumstances? Brazil has already postponed the municipal elections for a month, Uh, until November 15th due to concerns over COVID-19? Well, I think the main challenge is to
2: find the proper balance between preserving public health and uh, celebrating this vital right for democracy, which are elections. We had to postpone the elections, as you mentioned, because we consulted with the doctors, epidemiologists, and infectologists, And they all recommended that we postpone the elections for a few weeks because they had the belief that, I think it's being confirmed, that the curve of the disease would be going down and probably uh, the disease would be in a much lower intensity in November the 15th when the first round of the election will will take place. So. so the, the, this was the main challenge. Postponing the, the the elections was kind of a challenge because we needed a constitutional amendment for that. So after consulting with the with the doctors, I uh, uh, invited the the president of the Senate and and the president of the, of the House the House Speaker to the Superior Electoral Court, and I uh, presented to them the doctor's opinion about the postponing. They were convinced that that was a convenient thing to do. And we, I personally went to Congress and discussed the matter with political leaders. And they all, not all, but most of them agreed with the postponing. So the main challenge is to find this balance and make sure that the election doesn't become a way of spreading the disease.
1: What measures is the Superior Electoral Court taking to actually um, reduce the chances that COVID will spread as people are voting?
2: So after the postponement, I created a, a uh, health advisory board uh, and gathering three main Brazilian institutions, from Oswaldo Cruz, the Syria Lebanese Hospital and Albert Einstein Hospital, And uh, with them and my team, we prepared a plan, a a security plan for the elections with a step-by-step of safety procedures. And they also listed all the equipment, safety equipment we needed to purchase to assure uh, protection for the poll workers. We have 2,000 and Around two two million poll workers that we need to protect, and we have uh, over a hundred and forty seven million voters. So they gave us a huge list of materials. So we had to buy for the protection of the poll workers uh, nine million masks, so that they can they could change three times. So every four hours they need to change the mask. We had to purchase two million um, face shields, that plastic protection, and we needed to purchase uh, two million uh, hand sanitizers, uh, and also two for for the. So each poll worker will get three masks, the face shield, and a hand sanitizer, and we also purchased. Uh, hand sanitizer, uh, also two million for the voters so that they can clean their hands when they enter the vote section, as we call it, the vote station. And, uh, and they clean it again after they have voted. Uh, you probably know we have an electronic ballot, so we don't handle paper. Uh, to vote. And my challenge was how to buy all those materials in a few weeks that I had, and with no budget. <laughs> so what I did was we made uh, we called in Portuguese a public call to private to the private sector, so that they could be partners in the promotion of Brazilian democracy uh, and. For well, my good surprise, 30 major companies and business associations, they gathered and they purchased everything we needed. And I didn't mention everything, uh, because we also had pens, mm-hmm. and we also needed stickers for for the floor so that people would keep social distancing. Uh, so we got all the equipments we needed, and- materials and after that we had a huge logistic Brazil is, is a pretty big country and we had to send these materials to 26 uh, regional courts that will uh, manage the, the election so it, it's been
1: a huge task uh,
2: that I've done with the uh, incredible help of all these companies and of my secretary general Aline Zorio uh and uh, next wednesday uh, we are going to celebrate uh, so next wednesday october the 15th we are going to celebrate that all the items have arrived at the proper place uh, so those were the measures we also changed uh what we call the Voting flux the way the the voter uh, proceeds after he enters the the station, the voting station, uh, so that he won't have any contact with the poll worker, and so we made these changes, and now we're we're pretty sure that we've done just about everything that was reasonable, reasonably possible to. Uh, to preserve the public health.
1: So now my understanding is that in Brazil, people have to vote in person, right? There is no absentee ballots, the same way that there is here in the US, Um, but I've read that you are testing a new voting app that would allow people to vote using their smartphones and that it's going to be just a test during this election to see if it works. Um, But I'm wondering, do you see that as being kind of the future of voting in Brazil or an option that will be available to more people in two years or four years?
2: Yeah, after my inauguration, we launched a project called Elections of the Future. We we have a a voting system that functions very well, the electronic ballot, and we've had it since 1996 with no case of fraud ever being proved uh so uh we, 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 we do trust in our system. however, it's very expensive because those electronic ballots, they become obsolete every two uh, every few years uh, as with everything in technology. So we need to purchase new ballots um, to replace those. Very high cost. We're talking about hundreds of millions of riyals or even dollars. So, what uh, my plan was: uh, we are we have entered the digital era. We are under the, the digital revolution. Uh, everyone now has his own personal uh, cell phone, smartphone, or, or tablet. So. Uh, we decided we would make a call to the private sector again to present proposals of a efficient and confidential uh, system uh, of voting using the personal device of people. And they are going to present their proposals this coming election. It's gonna be a simulation of election. And with those proposals, uh, we probably uh, have a formal bidding process to pick the best one and maybe try it in in the next uh,
1: elections. And do you worry more about security if people are voting through their cell phones? Because Brazil's election system right now is very secure in terms of the electronic vote.
2: Well that, that's what we need. Uh, we, we need to make sure that we can uh, vote from the personal device with what we call confident, confidentiality. So we need uh, security, confidentiality and efficiency. Uh, I, hopefully they will present good uh, proposals. Uh, it, it's, it's surprising because very few countries in the world have gone digital as far as elections. Here in the United States, it's, uh, I'm sorry to say, but it, it feels like it's in the prehistory of voting. Uh, they, they, they really need to improve that, let <laughs> me like <I> tell you. <laughs> but very few countries uh, adopt the digital system. Uh, and I think that's, that's just a, a tradition that it's not justifiable anymore. Of course, if you can find safe ways to make it uh, easier. Like in Brazil, in the past elections, we had over uh, 120 million voters. And the election ended at 5 PM. And at 10 PM, we had all the results. And as I said, no fraud has ever been documented. So it's a pretty safe system. So I'm hoping that, and, and we had three big companies uh, uh, that presented themselves to 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 participate in this project of the elections of the future, in, uh, uh, like uh, IBM and, and Microsoft and Indra from Spain. So we're hoping they will come up with good solutions, and then. Comes the tough part, which is finding a model of business that we keep control of the elections, but using their technology. So we haven't thought about that, but uh, probably that's the next step.
1: I want to switch gears a little bit um, to the question of disinformation, mm-hmm. because I think you know that has been a huge concern in Brazil, as it is here in the U.S. and other parts of the world, um, and you yourself have warned about the challenges that disinformation could create for a democratic system of governance. So um, you know what have you and the court learned about disinformation in recent years? And how do you think we can um, confront it with heading into another election?
2: Well uh, that that's a very important question. I, I think that democracy has currently three very powerful enemies. One is uh, poverty uh, inequality. Second is corruption in many parts of the world. And third is disinformation. These disinformation campaigns and uh, hate speech through social uh, media. And I I think this needs to be confronted because. democracy and free speech has as its main justifications the search for truth there is not a single truth there are multiple points of observation in life but a uh, search for truth is important for correct information that will allow people to make uh, their, their choices and of course uh, this virus that has become the disinformation campaigns and just uh, pure lies that are disseminated uh, through the internet. Uh, this really compromises democracy. Uh, although there's no empirical evidence that it changes the result of the elections, there is plenty of evidence that. It, it deteriorates the public debate. And democracy is not made only of, of voting. It's also made of a public, robust public debate that allow people to present their reasons, present their arguments, and seek the best solution for, for the problems. So I think fake news or disinformation campaigns or hate campaigns, Uh, affects this important feature of democracy which is a robust and and honest public uh, debate so we are out to uh, fight this it's not easy Uh, it's not easy to fight this with court decisions for many reasons for the first one it's not easy to qualify what is a lie in, in many cases and we do not want the courts to become censors of the public debate. So uh, uh, we chose not to focus our attention in in the content of the speech, but in behaviors, what has been called uh, coordinated un- unauthentic behavior. So. Uh, we entered partnerships with all major social medias, WhatsApp, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Google, and TikTok. I even uh, had a video made for TikTok. And so, yeah, because one other concern, just just to open this parenthesis here that we have, is that people won't come to vote because they will be scared of... Uh, because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. so we are really calling on people to vote and saying we are providing all safety measures that's possible. Let right. I me mean, close this parenthesis. Social
1: media can can both um, you know suppress the vote right through misinformation, but it's also a great tool for reaching young people, for encouraging people to vote. Of
2: course, there are many good things you can do with social media if you can neutralize the bad use of it. So we, we entered partnerships with all of them. And some of them, WhatsApp, for example, is very important in in Brazil. And it's the main source of information for 70% of the population. So we went through a special partnership with them, and they even developed a tool that will allow us to send messages to all users to, uh, correct misinformation that has been, uh, this has been disseminated against the electoral system. Not, We're not dealing with the candidates, but uh, from our experience in, in 2018, there was a lot of attacks on the electoral system to make people uh, distrusted or telling people not to go vote because you can't rely on the system. So that's something we, we, we want to avoid. So we we entered partnerships with the social media, and we formed a coalition with all the fact checkers that are in Brazil, around a dozen of them. And we have a WhatsApp group with them. And any news that we think might be fake or might be disinformation, they will uh, check right away. And then we'll have a page on the electoral, electoral justice site called Fact or Rumor, and everyone can check there if uh, any information is true or false. And we also entered a partnership with the telephone companies that sell data packages for, for the people to access the Internet so that they can access the electoral, electoral justice site for free without any deduction deduction from from their data package uh and we are making campaigns on television and on social media in, in which myself and well-known people uh explain the risks of disseminating uh false information so uh that that has been keeping us busy, that's, uh, we've spent a lot of energy uh, preparing ourselves to fight uh, disinformation campaigns.
0: Our sincere thanks to Justice Luiz Roberto Barroso for taking the time to speak with us, and to his team and the Embassy of Brazil for coordinating the interview. This episode of the Brazil Institute podcast was produced and edited by Oscar Cruz. I'm your host, Anya Prusa. Until next time, thanks for listening.